Hello and welcome to this episode of Stories from the Pack, brought to you by Wolves Fancast. Richard Hobbs here, and joining me on today's show, we have got Fancast, a legend and probably the most unique person <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's Stu Hall. Good tomorrow, Richard. How the devil are you? I'm good, uh, apart from the hair situation, but um, you know, hopefully lockdown will end soon enough and I can go go more towards your direction, I guess. Yeah, this is not through choice though. This is this is a victim of circumstance. Look at me. I feel like the, uh, there is well, a level of circumstance very quickly happening here, but uh yeah. This is it's probably one of the rare times where I've looked more respectable than you, to be honest. I was gonna say it's it's getting there, but I did I, I me and Stu sort of obviously when we, we do the, the fan cast together, we are, we always sort of joke about each other's attire. So it's nice to see that uh, true to form, I'm wearing my fisherman's jumper and Stu's wearing what I believe is it the 2001? You, you know what this shirt represents. Let's not go down that I, I do. Whether we go into that on today's podcast, I don't quite know and almost certainly hope not but um anyway uh moving swiftly on so as we do with stories from the pack um we're keen to learn i guess the stories behind supporting walls what it means to people how people and how fans are channeling that passion for the club um Stu, um i i could do parts of this for you in a way just because we've known each other for a, a good amount of time now but what we'll do is we'll almost go right back to the start of supporting walls and i think one of the things that I found interesting um, that a lot of football fandoms supporting a club, it get, tends to kind of get passed down generation, particularly from father to son. But I know your dad's a Man United fan. Yeah, yeah, he is. So he's, I'll, uh... he's, he's, um, he's treachery. He, uh, he was a Man United fan from a young age. So that was, what, so 50-odd years ago. So, I mean, there weren't really... At the peak of their powers then, but you are still talking about best law, Charlton. So he was he jumped on the bandwagon while he could, and then suffered for twenty odd years until the nineties came along and he had redemption. But yeah, that's a Man United fan. He was on Wolves books in the late seventies, early eighties as a as a reserve. He never never played, never got that far ahead. But when you had Andy Gray in front of you in the striking department, you're not really going to have a chance, are you? So um, so yeah, so. I I think probably one of the few on here who had a legitimate claim to be a Man United fan if I went with my dad's route. So yeah. I chose my mum's way instead and this glory of failure and heartache. So yeah, my mum my, um, my played for Wolves Women in the 70s, one of the, the founders of them that team. Um, so from her side, I mean, my granddad was a Wolves fan. Obviously, her brother is as well, my uncle. So, And he'd had a season ticket for years. And it was just a case of, well, I wasn't going to go to Old Trafford with Dad anyway, regardless. It would have always been on the telly with Sky. And I just thought, well, no, I don't want to be a United fan like everyone else at school. I want to be Wolves. And and this was probably going back to, in my earliest memory was 94. I mean, I was, my okay. first game, my first game was Atalanta in the Anglo-Italian Cup. That, that is so 90s, Stu. <laughs> it's... I know we keep saying the stereotype of me and everything, and it kind of it just ticks every box, do it really? Atalanta at home, Lee Mills one one, fifteenth and fifteenth of November nineteen ninety four. Mark Rankin on the program cover fifty p. Um, 
still got it over there. But yeah, it was, my uncle took me and it was one of them where my mom kind of, she had a season ticket in the seventies until up until I was, I was born. And then she kind of patted in to raise us. So Hmm. it was kind of like, well, okay, you can take him and you can see what it's like and everything. And, but I had been to a Man United game before that. So my first live game was Man United at Villa Park, which was okay. nil. So my first actual live goal was still a Wolves goal. But um, so that, that didn't throw me off. But yeah, so there was that. And then later on in that season was the um, the classic Sheffield Wednesday FA Cup game, which I listened to on the radio. So that was, that's one of my first memories of, of a match. Other than, I mean, you'll probably... Are you too young to remember the uh, WM jingle for the? the uh... da, 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 da. Yeah, no, I, but they played that up until relatively recently, didn't they? Well, I've, I've got no idea. I've never seen that. I was going to say, I, I, I say that, but I, I remember listening to a radio and it'd be like, and it's your goal. But yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we were, I mean, I was at the time, I mean, 94. Um, and before then, it was always, I was in the garden playing with my brother. He was three years younger than me. So obviously I was better than him um, just by default. So when mom was listening to the matches in the kitchen, that noise going off, it was run to the kitchen door to then listen at oh, if we scored and inevitably it wasn't Wolves. Um, so yeah, that was one of my things. And then I, I distinctly remember listening to that cup game and I was hooked from them all. That was it. That was me done. Even though I didn't see it, I just listened to it, and that's what drew me in completely. It, it, it's interesting you mentioned the radio. Brought back a couple of memories of mine from having to listen on the radio, whether it was in a car journey because we were doing something else and weren't quite at that 100% hooked in stage, or even when we were. And I, I sounds horribly, I guess, old-fashioned or, you know, nostalgic, but you almost miss that because we have social media now and you just get an alert straight away. Yeah. But I've got a distinct memory of being at my nan and granddad's house. It was Wolves versus Watford in about 2005, a completely nothing game, nothing on it. Uh, and then like Wolves scored, but cause it was like over radio, didn't quite hear it. And I just remember my granddad going off with the radio, just try to listen in very carefully to sort of see who and what had scored, you know, and that's I do miss those days in a way, but um, I say it. I also find it interesting how your first game. Uh, to be fair, is it technically it's a cup game, isn't it? Yeah. But pretty much everyone I've spoken to so far, their first opponent they've seen Wolves play has no pretty much been a doldrums provincial yeah. town team. There's been no one who's kind of I, I, I've spoken to so far. It's gone. Yeah, yeah. My first game was you know Wolves versus Arsenal or a- anything like that, it is usually Stockport, Tranmere, Grimsby, uh, Hull. And, you know, so to have sort of, I guess, an exotic um, Anglo-Italian one um, is, is a nice one to sort of hang your hat on, I guess. I mean, we are kind of glossing up what that competition really was. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, it, oh, it oh was, massively, but still. <laughs> yeah, but still, it's, I know exactly what you mean. It is kind of a unique situation to be in to be taken to a game like that when I mean you expect or, or you hear from school I mean I, I, that was another thing that football wise I mean I have kind of memories of 1990 
but not much because I, mean, I was only six. So hmm. I'm going to remember bits on telly, but not really being that into it. But USA 94 was the one that completely got me into football from then on. So from yeah. that summer, um, even though, you know, I remember watching it in a caravan in Wales and um, it just, I was just completely gripped. Even though England weren't there. It's, a, it's almost like a story of the whole thing where my love of England and Wolves comes despite them in a way. Yeah, not because of them. Yeah, so it's um, it's it's a weird one with that. But yeah, my, my first actual league game was against Albion the following year. The first okay, th- that, that sort of slightly uh, disproves my point, Ben. <laughs> well, it was the first first home game of the season, Albion at home, which again, would you imagine that now? I was going to say that does not fly twenty years on, does it? No. So yeah, so I was in the um, I was in the Billy Wright for two years, and then well, one and a half years, and then we had kind of we had a weird half season ticket, or we had to stop having a season ticket, and but then we just kind of flitted between the Billy Wright and the Steve Ball for the rest of that okay. season. So and we were going on to memorable games and stuff with the um, the playoff game against Palace, but that was from I think J one of the front rows of J two, if my memory's right. So. From then on, I was in the I've been in the Steve Ball ever since. So, yeah, since '97. So it's interesting for Son, who is so much as a diehard fan, to, for want of a better term, I, I say it just because the sheer amount of home and away games you, you go to, but you've never been a, I, I guess a, a North Banker or South Banker, because that the, 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 I guess a stereotype is is, but for those hardcore diehards that they are very much you know well let's be honest it's usually south bank um but for you to sort of i guess stay away from the ends part of the term i guess (laughs) yeah it's i mean i've thought about people have asked me about this before and it's almost like because i didn't grow up with it and i grew up with being on the side Hmm. that's kind of what i mean obviously that's the better view anyway yeah and but at home game (laughs) That's the thing with away games as well. I'm generally not that mental. I'm just, I, I, I'm not really one that sings no. that that much. I mean, there's, I mean, Andy's been with me. I mean, the, there's been incidents where obviously everyone loses the shit and whatever. But I'm generally not. I'll generally stand there and take it in rather than sing and chant and go over the top. So from a kind of methodical looking on from Dave Jones style, looking on from the side lines, then being on the sides is what I prefer. It's inter- it's interesting. I mean, I, I say this as someone who pretty much has sat in, you know, all four sides and don't really have a preference. If, if a push comes to shove, I'd probably say the Billy Wright chiefly because I get confused when I'm in the Steve Ball and then I watch the highlights back. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 for a long time, I couldn't quite get my head around watching it back. But that's probably sort of bit more me than you i get before we sort of move on to i guess the notable moments and sort of things kind of growing up um how, how did your match day routine i guess sort of grow and evolve over time because you know I, i've gone to I, i've been to the emerald with you um i guess sort of the, the late latter stages of um your supporting them i guess how's it how's it sort of changed for you well to start with we used to go to um my uncle had a membership in the, well, what's now the international suite? It used to be the Legends Club in the steeple. Mm. Um, 
So he had a pass. He had a car park pass for that. So he somehow we managed to convince my mom to drive him up there so he didn't have to, so he could just drink as much as humanly possible. I wonder where I'll get it from now. Um, so we'd be sitting there from, I'd say at least, at least half one for a three o'clock kickoff. Um, so half one quarter two, we'll be sitting there in the car for a good 45 minutes before kickoff, just in, in the car park underneath the um, underneath the Steve Bull stand, you know, where the executive boxes entrances mm. on the middle. So we were part almost there. So it was under the overhang. So we just listened to um, the wolf. So it, it, yeah. all, some of my early years of growing up, the match day experience was listening to Steve Welsh. So, I mean, Steve Welsh was one of them, th- one of them people who I, I'd love to know what he's doing there because he was great at what he did. Um, but yeah, so it went from that to then I think it must have just got too expensive in there. So he, he stopped going. So we, and we started going to um, the Ash Tree and the Red Lion, then went Marines Way, which are mm. now flats, I think. So we went down there before a match when I was about probably pushing on 17, 18. Um, and then we stuck from there until they were knocked down. We went to, and then we went to the Emerald. So, but it's always been that for me. I've never been one. I mean, I've, I've done a few now where I've done the usual thing of having a drink in town and then going through the subway, which I hadn't even done until the Spurs game <laughs> like last season, at home last season. Was the first time I'd ever walked through the subway before a game. So I'd really? always come from, yeah, because I'd always come, from, I'd come from the other side every single time. So yeah. either, either from Marines Way or from then by um, then by the Untouchable. So for that one, I hadn't gone to them pubs. I'd gone straight. In, I couldn't remember what I was doing, but I, I had a drink in the in the spoons and then had to walk through the, the subway. And that was the first time I'd done it at the age of like thirty six. It's crazy. Okay, I was going to say, before we move on to notable moments, as a fine connoisseur of places then, what's your favourite place to get a drink? I get, We'll go before or after a match. Hmm. You're putting me on the spot now. I mean, before the match, I'm always in the Emerald Club. So hmm. it's... But afterwards, when I mean, we've done this a few times, I mean, when we've met people who, like fans of ours, which is mental in itself, so even saying them words... Um, Listeners to the fan cast, and we've we've met them in the um, the George Wallace. But I mean, ideally, it'd be the Litchgate, but it's just too small. Mm. So that would be my. I mean, there in the Posada have been my favourite pubs in town, just because of the real ale. But you're never going to get served in there on a match day, before or after. No, it's just, it's just not enough room. It's just not enough room. So basically, you've. I was going to say, been a diehard supporter since mid-90s. The first, let's be honest, 10 years of supporting the club, it was very much, you know, close but no cigar. And then, you know, we have almost the current 15 years that we're in now of going up and down um, the, the Premier League and League One roller coaster. So for you what are sort of those noticeable moments that sort of really stand out for yourself right you know whether it's the i guess the good bad ugly <laughs> i mean the, the the um the playoff game that i mentioned earlier in 97 against palace just for that i mean up until again the other one for atmosphere the man united cup game which has been mentioned loads on here already for atmosphere wise them two games were just superb and they're, they're almost like 
out so far ahead of everything else that you can't even match it because it's you you had to be there and it gets turned into legend now how good they were. Um, so other than that, I mean, I was at I was at Norwich when we um, when we conceded the third in the three-one away defeat in that playoff game. Yeah, which that, that, was really... we, that was year we kind of just completely collapsed, wasn't it? Was that? Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure. I... Yeah, it was. I was gonna say we were in that kit that you're wearing now. In terms of that, was it that year? No, it was the year was after. It the year, year after, yeah. Yeah, it was the one before that. Yeah, um, the brain one. But yeah, it was. I mean, that night was. I mean, coming coming back from Norwich is a pain in the arse in the best of times. But coming back from Norwich on your own, when you know that. You've got, we've kind of blown the playoffs again after being the best team in the league for two thirds of it. I mean, probably three quarters of it. If we're being honest, it that was that was probably the lowest. Other than I mean, even the double relegation, I mean, that was just a joke in the end. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I was a, I mean, I, I was at Brighton on that day, and it, we were almost kind of resigned to the fact that we, we were down anyway. So it was never really a surprise, just because we when the game before was it Barnsley. I can't remember, it's been a while. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, that, that playoff game against Norwich was the signal for me. I mean, that, and then losing to Barnsley away in the Saunders year, when I think there was a long way to go, but it was, you just had that kind of sinking feeling that we'd had it all before. So, for me, them two were by far the worst. I know they're not the last, the be-all and end-all in the last games and everything, but for moments where you think, We've done something really, really awful here. <laughs> yeah. No, that that that's it. I think interestingly with the Norwich one, I'd have been what nine at the time. That's when I was starting to properly get into it. Um, they actually showed that game that uh, on the middle of the pitch at Molyneux. And I wish, wish they still did that. They did that for the um the Palace game as well the away leg in Palace game, but it wasn't in the middle of the pitch. It was then terrible on the uh, terrible jumbo screens with the yeah. just li- little tellies bolted together. <laughs> just, oh, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, I, I guess in a way we've almost covered sort of the most painful ones first, um, but we'll, we'll make up for it by sort of chatting about, I, I guess, sort of the, the favourite ones for yourselves. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a game. It can be, you know, or an era if you want, or a moment that sort of just, I guess, sort of signified what you know, what what it all means to you, really. I mean, we've we've mentioned the um, Man United Cup game. I mean, the obvious ones is playoff final and all the usual things. But I mean, just looking at it from a just a bit, I was going to say just to be different, but the actual the semi final against Reading when we actually won it and we were actually going to a final or yeah. something. That was that was. I mean, to, again, I went on my own to that one because it was midweek. At that time, there was only me and my friend Goldie who, who was at work, so he couldn't get time off work. And I was going with the travel club for the majority of the time because, again, I was how old would I have been? Two thousand three, so nineteen. I, I didn't mm. really know that many people who who went away, other than them people on there. So I was pretty much on my own jumping around like a, a mentalist at the end of that game after Alex Ray scored. And it was, I just couldn't believe, after all the heartache we'd been through and all the, the playoff nonsense, that we'd actually got to a final of something, finally. And it was almost like a case of, well, we got to win this just because we are. 
from then on? Yeah, no, it's it's funny you say that, and I, I completely, I completely understand why that not not meant more, but what how it meant so much because of the amount we've missed out, and even though we'd we'd finish, it's easy to forget we'd finished fifth that season, yeah, um, and Sheffield United finished third. So in theory, they should have been the favourites. But I remember going down, like going down to Cardiff and just in the book, being like, "Well, we're going to win. We, we, we've we've won the semi-finals. That 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 was almost what was needed for us to get to where we needed to go." Um, and I guess there is sort of similarities in a way to um, the the Man United Cup game, but by that, well, hang on, this was almost our cup final. And we almost sort of went, well, we're going to win this. Ben forgot there's two sides in a cup final um, or well, in, we, a, in a in a head match. We know what we lost that game. Let's stop going to that. Yeah, um, I was going to say, <laughs> usually, I was going to say, usually yeah. I ask people at the end, so what do you usually think of Wolves? I'm not going to do that today because you can just tune into the uh, podcast on Saturday where we'll be just dissecting Wolves versus Villa. Um yeah. Um, so I uh, no, I think they're sort of very much admirable, uh, a really admirable one sort of pick off. I mean there's there's other ones like I mean the whole of League One was just incredible, just a great just well, it was a great piss up for different places more than anything else. But we were so far ahead of anyone and we didn't really there was nowhere we should have been there in the first place with the squad that we had. It was mm. just a big laugh for a whole year. Um but there's other, there's two others as well. The Southampton six nil game, just for how surreal and weird it was. Mm. Just, be, I mean, I've never seen the six. I think that's seven shots and six went in. Yeah, it's, I, it's just absolutely. I mean, I've never seen a, a team even lose by two nil, being of a standing ovation off the pitch before, let alone six. And it was just one of them pinch yourself moments, and you think, well, would this happen anywhere else? And it's wolves. It's weird. So it's, it's another one of them. Yeah, this is a special club to be at, and it's a special club to support for when moments like this happen. And there was another one as well, a weird one from when we um, we beat Hull, and it was the first game I'd ever missed because I had a free holiday in Jersey. So I thought, well, can't turn this down. And just out of sheer curiosity, I, I wrote a letter to the club saying, "Look, this is the situation. Check my things. I mean, I've." Been to every game since '95 or whatever, August '95 to 2005, I think he was by that point. And I said, "Is there any chance I can get a video of the game?" And when I got home, there was a VHS of the game posted through the door with, yeah. a, with, a, with a letter from Jess himself <laughs> saying, "Good old Jess." And he wasn't evil then, so he, he was. Um, it wasn't what we turned out to be, but yeah, I mean, I thought they didn't have to do that. And it was just me, me trying it on. And but again, an, a, a nice thing to do when it was pre-internet. I mean, they don't know who I was. I was just another fan. But they, they went out the way to do that. So I was, I was quite proud of that moment. To be fair. Yeah, I get it. It's it's weird because, like, in this day and age, like, you always get the feeling sometimes a club does nice things like that for fans as a bit of a PR move. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd argue, and that—that's you know, not to say that you can't do a nice thing and not get a bit of clout for it online. Let's say, but this is in a time like before uh, the internet, before social media, 
Um, and, you know, they've gone out of their way to do that um, just because, you say, they, they kind of understood and recognised how much sort of time and effort you've dedicated to being a fan. Um, and I guess that's sort of, I, it's a bit of a shame in a way, that's how sort of the club's developed and evolved to be too big to be able to do those sorts of things on a regular basis, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if they did it all the time, I mean, this was before you had like teams like Spurs bringing out individual match DVDs. And, yeah. Like we went to do it later on when we beat Man United in that 2003-04 season as well. Like, the defeat of the Devils, I think it was called. And um, oh, I had to... so many of them. I, I, <laughs> I, I know you did as well, but the uh, I don't think there was a Christmas or birthday when I didn't get the annual view of the season before. Yeah. Yeah, I've got them all in boxes. I mean, I've I've got ten years worth of programs in the loft, and I don't know why. I mean, that's the, it's all they're all digitised. You can all you can go on eleven v eleven dot com and look for scores against teams, and there's no need for them to be there anymore. But it's just one of them things eh, that you you just never. Get, I mean, I probably will eventually kick them out because who cares anymore? <laughs> who needs them? The only thing that I'll, I'll keep forever is the shirts. But that's yeah, uh, that's just me. I was gonna say um, I, for for anyone who's not. Um, I was going to say listening via podcast for this, which we are greatly appreciated for you doing. Um, but for those who are just on visual, Stu's got a um, backdrop of some, I guess, sort of favourite wolf shirts. Um, I, I'm, I'm 99% sure on this. You've collected a wolf shirt at every new home top, right? Yeah, from 94. Four. Out of curiosity, and, and again, this is something that's sort of been picked up a couple of times. Name a number on the back. Yes. Have you always gone for a haul? What have you? What, never, what, what sort of you? Never. I never did that. Not once. Okay. I always had always had a player. I never had my own name or anything like that. Um, the only time we did that was for um, we did it. For, me and a group of like, group of mates did it for an England tournament in one summer. Mm. And we had like, when the squad numbers went up to one to twenty two, we had twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. Um, just why not? Um, but yeah, uh, I had nine, obviously. Again, I, but because I'm a stickler and well, st- slash sad about these things, because they didn't have um, squad numbers, do we? In the Ensley Insurance League Division One, yeah, that's what I didn't have. It. I just had nine, and with the football league patches on the sleeves. So even, oh, of even, course, you'd have the football league patches on the sleeves. But you, this was again. This was in the nineties, though. You had to buy them from specialist sports shops, and there was one in Willingall by the clock. And uh, you had to; it wasn't even a print on one. So I had to get my mom to, to stitch it. Yeah, I had to get my mom to stitch it on. I'm trying to see if I've actually t- I've taken them off the shirt from the time, and I'm going to put them on my the one that I bought off eBay because that one obviously doesn't fit because I'm like 37 and not 12. Not 12, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I had so I had nine, and then um, and Muscat too. <laughs> nice, uh, nice choice to go away with that on, especially at Norwich. Maybe that's yes. that, that was the answer. Um, uh, Cameron twenty three, Ince eight, um, and then the last one I had. Well, obviously my Stell one on one of them. Um, the last one I had was uh, Jackie Mack. Man of Morris okay. Yeah. So that was 2005. Mm. And I haven't, I haven't had a number since then. Just 
just I don't know why I just I say grow out of it because I, I I was thinking about getting um, Matinho put on the first on the W eight eight shirt just because of how great he was in that season, but I just ain't got around to it yet. <laughs> I was going to say almost the moments not quite past, but I mean it's it's not, it's a nice way to recognize. I know we. We always sort of seem to do, I guess, sort of name and number proactively at the start of the season. Um, yeah. And usually it's strikers, you know, whatever it's ball, it's Ebanks, it's Jimenez. But I guess there is sort of some backward logic to always getting it at the end of the season. So oh, it's getting the top of the start and then getting it name and number at the end of the player who's made, you know, whether it's player of the season, one who's made, an impression on you, I guess. Um, a friend, a friend of mine, always used to kind of get whoever his cult hero would be that year. So he had a phase where it was like he had Ella Kobe, he had Mickey Gray, and then Ella Kobe. Um, again, yeah. I, I should, in hindsight, I should have got a Malcomara one because Superman was just legendary. He wasn't mm. good, but it was. <laughs> I was going to say we've not even talked about your favourite Wolves players. Um, I guess, I guess, sort of over the past sort of twenty five years, or notable heroes rather than favourite, because you know we, you, I say we sort of know it's the the list for anyone who kind of grew up in the nineties is not slightly obvious. But who are your standouts? Who made you smile? <laughs> Malcomara, just because yeah. I, again for this the same reason. I mean, you you go to football. I mean. Ideally, you go to football to have a laugh and enjoy yourself and not be depressed and bored. But but certain players just bring a smile to your face, and Mokamara did that for whatever reason. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got that. I've still got a scrapbook of um, cuttings that I, I made. I took from the Express Star and glued into this book of um, whenever he was featured. And there was we have picture. talked about this before, and yes, everyone, it does sound very stalkerish. <laughs> And I know when lockdown's over, I will go and see him at his wine bar and get him to sign it because that will be heavenly. Oh, that fancast night out, or yeah, yeah, fancast <laughs> video video series. Yeah, um, there's a few minutes. Yeah, like you said, I mean, I absolutely I loved Paul Ince when he was an England player. So when when he turned up here, that was mind blowing. I mean, it's yeah. It, so one of your favourite players. I know a lot of his views and everything since, and but you take the take the views from the player that he was for us, and he was incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean Stephen Fletcher. Despite okay. what, despite how he left, he was awesome. He yeah. was a, the best technical football. I mean, technical strike we'd had for maybe ever at that point. He could do everything. Yeah. I mean, when he, as with a lot of these players, like. Jarvis and Kitely and everyone else who've left and they never really fulfilled their, their promise after they left Wolves. And it was like, well, huh. joke's on you lot because you had a good thing going and you decided to leave for whatever reason. It's up to them. Um, but yeah, Stephen Fletcher for Wolves was superb. And he, he was ridiculously underused as well by Mick McCarthy for whatever reason. Oh, when, when he was just like stuck out on the left. Yeah. Was just like, but he's clearly our you say best player. I think the, the the biggest thing for Fletch was he couldn't just stay, he couldn't stay fit for a full campaign um, ever. Like whether when it was at Burnley or or at Wolves, in my opinion. And you know, I can obviously see why Sunderland went in for him, and 
you know, he, he had that almost interesting thing for me, Fletcher, where, you know, he joined Wolves, well, he joined Burnley, I think it was for about three million. Then he joined Wolves for around six, just over. And then he joined Sunderland for almost double that as well, um, to 13 or so. And he always had this meteoric rise, but then just, I say, his body wouldn't be able to keep up with, I, I, I say this, I can't imagine him scoring any more than 13 in a season for Sunderland. No, nowhere near. I mean, I've got a mate who's a, a Sunderland fan, um, Gaz, and he was saying, hey, he sold us another donkey here. And again, and I know some people are going to write in, it was 7 million, and it was same as Doyle, before people correct you. I apologize. Um, I had six and a half in my head. Yeah, it was, I think it was... It was, it was either... Doyle. No, but yeah. But yeah, he just never just never went on and did as what he promised to do. And... When you look at him now with his beard and his ponytail, pissing about in the uh, in the championship where he didn't want to play, seven years on, and it's like, well, things could have been a lot better. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, you, I loved Andy Keogh. I mean, I know me and Gully have talked about this as well before. Um, he got such stick for no real reason at all, just because he was the second striker and he wasn't the focal point. And there, there were times when it was almost come to punch ups because of me defending him. <laughs> And I thought, well, it's going to be like when we, when we get back and it's going to be like Samedo, where I can see it happening already because of how he started. But yeah, I mean, we mentioned him already, but my favourite all-time player was just for that one season, was Jean Moutinho. Again, yeah. there's no one even close, no one near his, his quality. And I mean, he rightly won player of the season that year. And Um, he rightly won player of the season that year and he was, I mean, I'd followed him from watching international football and um, European football for a long time as well. And he was one of them players where he, he, when he was constantly with Spurs every year. And you think, oh, yeah, just I, he went through Spurs and then Everton. Yeah. So just come to the Premier League, just come and play here. And it never happened. And then when we were leaving, I thought, no way, not a chance. And then he turned up and he was the best player we'd ever have and ever had. And, Despite what's happened since, and yeah, he's obviously dropped off and he's getting older, but yeah, for that one season, he was just superb. It's, a, it's an interesting mix of players you've got there, and I, I, there's a nice and uh, a nice line of, I guess, for veterans coming in with the likes of Ince and Martino, who have kind of uh, come from almost a bit of an Indian summer. And again, same with Paul Ince, like there was a level of, well, is he a bit past it? And just clearly wasn't. Um, and same with Martino, I, I guess to a to a degree as well. Um, as well as I guess you've liked almost the the very slow players, and then just players will just run their socks off to yeah. a degree. Um, I, think, I think it's probably a case of because we, like you said earlier, because we are we, I mean, especially our kind of generation grew up with, with us being quite shit all the time. And you were kind of looking at, you were watching match of the day of a night time or the premiership that one year when we were there, um, thinking, well, this is what the real football looks like rather than mm. us playing in this kind of ridiculous place where we can't even have a proper sticker album. And which I had one where I could find it, Panini Nationwide sticker album. Wonderful. Um, Jamie Smith always eluded me, never finished it because of him. But yeah, I think for anyone was... listening, if you can find Stu a James Smith sticker, 
96 uh, 97. No, in the 96-97, we will pay a lot of money. Thank you. Five pounds. <laughs> but yeah, it, I think it, that was kind of the reason for that kind of choice because of we've seen all these excellent players and we never experienced it properly. We'd been watching like Stacey Caldicott run rings around us and things like that and thinking, oh, we can't. I mean, when, when you're looking at Simon Osborne as your best technical player, and yeah. I, I know it was nothing wrong with Simon Osborne. He had a couple of great moments again, but he, it's not in the same league, is he? Um, so, we, yeah, we had. We were, obviously, we had the youngsters like Lescott and Robbie Keane and all that, and that was all fun and dandy, but it's almost too obvious to, to, to be actual good players and fans' favourites. So I don't know what it, was, it says about me. They're always, always the ones on the fringe, <laughs> the ones who are a bit controversial, that I had to be, um, I had to choose them for, for whatever reason. Well, maybe, and this kind of follows on to, I, I guess, my next point is sort of how, how closely you maybe went to games, and you've already mentioned that, you know, when you went to away games, um, you know, you weren't necessarily, necessarily there just for a piss up and a, a run around. Um, I, 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 it was weird because sort of, I think I first obviously met you via the fan cast, but it was through doing the away blogs and it was through going to all the away games. So if that, that's a, obviously a very big commitment, you know, quite a few people who do it. What kind of triggered that for you? Oh, God. And it's like saying, well, triggered an alcoholic to drink, which <laughs> um, <laughs> you could label it me as well, I suppose. But uh, I don't, I don't really know where it started. I think when we had, um, when we got to sixth form, we were given this, this kind of this bursary scheme where they gave you 30 quid a week. I think it was, or 30 quid a month. Yeah. And oh, what's it called? E. Yeah. It's going to, it's going on. So it's on all messaging. Yeah. I can't remember what you, but, at the time, so they were giving us free money to so not do anything. So I thought, well, I can go to away games then. So that's where it started from. So I'd started going to away games on my own at 15. Just because, I mean, before, obviously before sixth form, but, but I started going to away games on my own at 15 on the travel club, thinking, well, it's perfectly safe, no problem whatsoever. And then it just kind of, it turned into a habit. And then it got to the stage where it was more than a habit and it was a complete lifestyle choice. So like, every single thing was based around going to Bulls games. So like my, um, there's things like when we had a, a chance to go to New York for a, for a business studies, if you chose that as a sixth form um, option, I didn't choose it as an option because I would have missed Gillingham at home. <laughs> things like, I know like, this is my problem. <laughs> things like that. And I, I've missed my uncle's wedding for Forest at home and, but they, no one had a problem with it because that's what, well, it was just stewards the match, eh? That's what, the, it's just kind of brushed, brushed off. So I think me doing that from, in my late teens, kind of just, well, it kind of shaped the future, so to speak. Oh, and then yes. when, when you kind of, I mean, that's why I started when, when I went to uni. I went to uni at Wolverhampton. So again, perfect opportunity. So I wasn't going to miss anything if possible. And it's a humble brag, but it's I mean, Wolves has been like you said. What does Wolves mean to you? Wolves has been my life. It just has been from I say from the age of sixteen, well, fifteen, sixteen. That's all it's been about. It's always been about just do you work in the week, just get enough, enough money to go and watch Wolves and go out with your mates. That was it. And 
when I plan when you planning your wedding so that it doesn't ever the anniversary never ever clashes in the season or a World Cup or Euros, um, and you plan your own children's birth around the end of the season, which it worked twice perfectly. Um, you kind of think, well, this guy's a madman, <laughs> and yeah, maybe I am, but it's it kind of. It is more than an obsession. It is a way of life, and it yeah, it costs about four grand a season, which is insane. But I mean, I, I know former fan Castian Alex Moore. If you're going to, if we can get hold of him and get him on here to, to say his, and he does it for the love of football, and for me, it's the love of Wolves. And now, when I got older, the social aspect as well, because up until probably the year till League One. It was just go to the match on the travel club, have a drink while there, come back in League mm. One. That's when I, I discovered the Atherton. Okay, then. That's interesting. So when we went on the Atherton because we used to go to away games. When I wasn't on the travel club, my uncle had this and his friends had this minibus. And it was a similar kind of thing. They'd go for a drink in a certain town about four or five miles away from where we were playing. Just so we're out of the out of the limelight, no trouble issues, no nothing like that. Just have a few drinks beforehand, just with the mates, and then go to the game. And so when they stopped doing that, I went on the Hatherton because that's where they got the idea from in the first place. Because a lot of them had done that in the eighties. So I'd always been drinking and having a having a laugh with older people than myself. So it just made sense to transition to that lot. And then like we go to then I, I wrote down a list of different places like Things you'd never go to places like Thirsk and Worksop, Brig, Goosnarch. I mean, places that just sound like Doctor Who places. Yet they're like tiny villages or they're like, it's, lo- yeah, it's like small little, not not insignificant, but just yeah, they're like it's like Willingall or like market towns, like Wensfield as well. I suppose you could say like yeah. little mar- little market towns with. I mean in. The case of Thirsk and Brig, I mean, seven, seven and eleven pubs in a, in one little place is incredible. Shifnal levels, that is. Yeah, exactly. Not as posh, but no. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that's what it turned into to go into away games, to then being exploring these new places all over the country, and then seeing new people again, talking to different people you never even meet in a million years in any other work of life, way of life. So, and then. I saw a thing on Twitter about writing for a away, ga- away game match report. And I thought, well, I'd done that when I was at uni for the BBC. So I thought, well, why not? And that's when it kind of, uh, that's when the this path opened. A, I was going to say, this is a seamless transition into a, well, the last points I've got. Oh, thank you, Stu. So it almost brings us up, not, not quite to modern day, um, but I guess, yeah, you kind of join the fan cast from uh, you know being a way day blogger and that kind of then evolved into coming on the pod but one of the things that i guess interested me the most is a coming from doing the blog stuff because that was sort of what i kind of found my roots in the fan cast doing but sort of over time i've sort of realized how prominent or how heavily you sort of followed a lot of the wolves fan media whether it's through things like forums and Molyneux Mix or even fanzines back in the day from a load of ball which I know you sort of dabbled in as well I guess and interest sort of gauge your thoughts on I I guess sort of form and fanzines to start with because they're they're sort of a bit more old hat and how that's kind of evolved into I guess sort of things like podcasts and YouTube really 
Well, yeah, I think like a lot of I think it's a, it's a dead art now of the whole um, fanzine situation. But I went, I came from like shoot. I had shoot yeah. ma- shoot magazine every week without fail, and I had and this was in a time when and went to secondary school. So you're talking like, again like mid nineties, and they told you to wrap your books, like put put covers on your books. You know, why? Yeah. Well, what's the point? But even so, everyone came, like people came back with like plastic sheets and um, some had wallpaper and things like this. And I had the posters out of Shoot Magazine, so like pictures of Scott Gemmell for no reason at all, just because it was football. And I, I love football so much. So I mean, my, my geography my geography book was Peter Schmeichel in that green, blue, and red thing. And again, completely over your head because you're so young. Um, I, I know who Peter Schmeichel is. I was trying to work out if there was a link to geography. Um, well, I know where he's born. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, there was no link at all. I mean, he had a green top on and geography's green, green book. So maybe yeah. subconsciously, um, but yeah, so I came from that. So when I got to, obviously when I turned up at my first game in mid nineties and you obviously have a program like, um, Chris and Louise talked about last week and you have a program you have to, because that's the rules. But then this other thing start, started getting talked about, like people at school. So have you read the load of ball? And well, what's this about? And so I went and found it. I think my cousin had had a copy of it, and I read it. And I thought this is great. I mean, people like uh, John Island, Winslow, and all like characters that were in mm. there. But that kind of it. Like I said it's just the passage of time, I suppose, because that turned into the old Molyneux mix on the Express and Star website, and the the old days, and then to its own being. And I was. I mean, I've still got a thing on there now saying uh, under my profile thing saying it doesn't shut up because I've posted so much stuff. I mean, not recently because it's a toxic cesspit now because <laughs> we're not the game to moan about it. But yes, yeah, so I went. I went to the forums and then I wrote for the um, I wrote for the fancast. But I'd listened to the fancast since since the relaunch anyway. So from mm-hmm. the very start when there was just Dave and two others in his kitchen, and so when the opportunity that's why i followed followed it on twitter so when it uh, came up i thought well why not i mean I haven't, I haven't at that point i hadn't wrote anything for eight years i'd just been working at weatherspoons just doing my thing i was quite quite quiet keeping myself to myself not saying anything controversial to anyone and and then my old man had tired yeah I was, it's just this image of me some for some reason but yeah i so i I wrote what I saw and then either you or Dave just contacted me one day. So do you want to come on the podcast? And I thought, okay, fine. And I had no idea what to expect really. And I thought, well, I'll come on and I'll just say what I think and be as polite and nice as possible. Cause it's around a like a dinner, dining room table at Dave's house. And, and it just kind of went from there really. And then it was, I mean, we were the only ones. So mm. we had, you're kind of like, oh, you're going on the fan cast. Oh, how, how, do you, how do you manage that? And then you look at me, you have the um, the thing on your phone now that tells you it's like screen time and stuff. And WhatsApp is almost like 90% of the day. And I know exactly what WhatsApp group that's coming from. <laughs> and that's from the 10 of us because it is like a, how cliche it is. It's turned into a family. I mean, I've known you for what, six years, seven years, something like that. Yeah. And and then Andy from, I mean, I, I met Andy at Brentford. I mean, he, he's listened to the podcast as well. And that was his first meeting of me when I'd turned up from a, another example where I'd been to a funeral in the morning 
got my mom's boss to take me to the Brentford so that I could <laughs> so that I could then go and meet Andy in the pub before the game. There are so many layers to that. And I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to move on. A is a time, but just so many layers to that. We'll move on to meeting Andy. <laughs> yeah, so I met, I met Andy in the pub and he was like, oh, Andy, yeah, Stewie. And that's, again, when I had hair, so I was quite recognisable. Um, but yeah, so I'm in a, again, three hours later, ended up jumping on his back because we won at Brentford away. And it's just one of them things where I mean, now it moves on to things like a little side hustle podcast that we started in lockdown. And Give it a plug, go on. Cage Fighting Pod, if you were, on Twitter. For your Nicolas Cage and just general film. Yeah, if you want film, film questions an- yeah. film questions answered, three blo- three guys in the 30s nearly 40 year old <laughs> talking about Nicolas Cage films and having a, having a good old laugh every week then come and check us out over there but yeah I mean that came from that came from the friendships that I formed through the fan cast and with each other which I never expected to do when I expected to come on here talk about walls once a week and that'd be it but it kind of blossomed into much more than that very very yeah, strange it is weird when you think about it and like you know, I reflect. I did one with Dave um, Evans, founding father, a couple of weeks ago, and sort of I did a bit of reflecting after that, and sort of thought, I guess, sort of the things that are shot off from doing this. It, I'm not going to sort of sort of make it all about me or even all about the fan cast, really. But it's in, it has been interesting to sort of see either the little opportunities we've got, whether it's meeting players and in interviews or just meeting. I was going to say meeting each other because. I, I say oh, yeah. this with the greatest will of the world. Like me and you, we we probably wouldn't have crossed paths in our lives unless it was sort of weirdly at a Wolves game. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like on the face of it, there is very little in common between me and you, apart from you know Wolves or whatever. But it's only since we kind of got to know each other, we've got got this weird mutual loves of so many things more than wolves but we are the opposite ends of antithesis of so many things <laughs> but it doesn't matter because yeah exactly we're when, mates when it, and you just go well it's fine i mean you you turning up in in the gifford in knitwear is just classic i mean it was just <laughs> one of the things and you said so, it's not something in it was in North- it's cold what am i supposed to be wearing i'm wearing a hoodie and i'm wearing my jumper and a coat it's not my fault it's like a quilted jacket you were 100% flammable that day yeah you just yeah. just were but yeah I mean, it, again it's the same thing I, mean, I would never have met I mean I knew I played football against Price in hoops um, so I kind of knew them before um, but I would never have spoken to Alex I would never I mean I would have probably punched Ben in the face if we'd have been only in a way going together. But again, we had a kind of love-hate relationship with each other. I mean, and it's great. But there's so many people. I mean, even one fallen fallen comrades like Hoops who, who've left, I and mean, you still keep, obviously keep in touch with you because you're mates. I mean, it's yeah. it's all it's almost like it's kind of gone in reverse. Where like I said earlier, where I went to football with no real friends who went to football. Um, I've made friends through doing something about football again, not because of it. So it's it's very strange. And then now you look at everything else, and every every man and his sister is doing a podcast. So, but again, more the merrier. If if this is what people want to do, then it's easy enough to do. Just just get out there and talk. It's great. Yeah, I, th- I think it's 
interesting you know we 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 make like little silly jokes about well we're the oldest ones in town you know no one else was doing them before wolves were good etc etc um that feels like i need to have a butt bed (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no but actually i think looking back on it the things that i guess the fan cast has probably bought us all personally whether it's you know external things so like for the likes of me and ben it's helped secure jobs in indirectly or directly it, it, it's helped us grow our professional brands as well as sort of friendships and just the the, the skill sets of doing stuff like this and you know what if if this has meant that another pod has been able to do that or been able to share insight then you know i'm, I'm all for it yeah and it and like you said, I mean, there's plenty of people who came up through the ranks just from the writing side of things, and there's still people writing for the website who are going to do great things now. Which is again, it, it, it's a stepping stone, a stepping stone to greatness. Wolf fancast. Um, that should be the new tagline for the new year. When, yeah. we, when, we, when we all come back again next season, that's what we're saying. But yeah, it does imply that they move on to better things, though. These are really better things than this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it is. Um, it has been. It's been. It's, it's almost like a parting shot saying it's been a pleasure, but it, it really yeah. has. And I know that I was a I was a super fan beforehand, and I'd listen to every episode, so it's a kind of bit weird joining up. But then, and I know I'm I'm kind of made out to be the fool of the gang, and I'm the one who says controversial stuff just for the sake of it, and I get the abuse on Twitter and whatever, but. It's only football, end of the day. <laughs> We're only talking about, it's not life and death. We're talking about football and Wolves performances. And if you're going to take everything so seriously, then you kind of just take a step back if it's, if it's affecting you that much. Because we are only really talking about football at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's interesting because, yeah, you, you, you'll, you know, again, we sort of joked about where, you know, I, I am probably the most, let's say, neutral balanced person with most things in my life whether it's wolves or my wife hates me when we'll go out for a meal a really nice restaurant and she'll go how how's your meal i go yeah it's all right and then the next day we'll be at home and we'll have like oven fish and chips and that's food i go yeah it's all right like but i rarely move between like <laughs> about a five and a half and a six and a half in my life sort of thing whereas i know you are very much more you're happy to kind of express a wider range of those um emotions but again it's always difficult if you don't know the person but actually you get annoyed but it's not like it's i guess worrying levels of annoyance do you know what i mean like it's not like you spend five days sulking about about a game. You seem to get over stuff like that pretty quickly. Oh yeah, I mean it, it was it used to really really get to me, and it, it would. I mean sometimes I mean it, if it's really really awful, then I won't watch any other football for the rest of the week, kind of thing. If it's like a if we if we play on a Tuesday and like have like twenty percent possession or something like that, then and get absolutely spanked. I'm probably not going to watch football until the following weekend, mm. but it's not going to put me in a mood anymore. It's not. I mean, maybe that's just being nearly forty, and you, you kind of grow up a bit. But you just kind of compartmentalise it a bit, and I think because of the situation we're in now and the whole of 
this season being, well, not being there for a year almost, it kind of does take us a little step back. And yeah, you get we get irate and rant and rave and you say your views on where the manager should be and whatever, but... And of course, you're not allowed to change your view as well either. No, That's exactly. Can't remember. Yeah, you're in one camp or the other. You can't deviate. And but again, that's just that's just 2021. Eh? That's the modern world. So you just get on with it. I mean, I mean, we had um, people requesting me not to be on the fan cast, which is nice. But we're large <laughs> but it, from life. Let's be honest. Yeah, but again, it's you don't take these things these things seriously. It's just it is what it is. It's a, it's a it's a few blokes and Kim talking about football. That's all it is. If you don't like one of us, then you don't like one of us. There's, there's podcasts I listen to where I don't like certain people on there, which is fine. But yeah, it's, I think having lockdown and having watching football at home, you kind of put a bit of perspective on things that, yeah, maybe missing family occasions for away games was probably not the best idea thing to do in the world. So will they carry a minute? More than likely, when we carry on again in August, September, it'll be back to normal and this will just be hearsay. But it has been a kind of downtime where you think, yeah, maybe it's not the peel and end all, but it's still very important. No, I, I completely agree. I think uh, we, we'll wrap up in a second, but I think for me, Wolves for a long period of time was for be all and end all, like growing up in my teens. But interesting, it was when I went to university. And I moved away and, and didn't stay at home. And at that point, you can't go, well, you know what? Yeah, I, I will keep an eye out for every game. If Wolves are playing, if it's on TV, I will be watching it. Um, and, you know, this was during the relegation, two relegation seasons and League One. So it wasn't exactly great watching, but it did sort of put it in perspective because I remember like my mum joking, like, how are you going to cope not watching Wolves? It's like, you know, I don't really know. And then I realised, well, actually, yeah, I can cope quite well when it comes down to it. And, you know, same as like not having a TV licence. I went, <laughs> it was like stupid because I, I, I thought about it. I was like, I watched, like, this was before like you needed like TV licence to watch iPlayer. Being like, well, I'll just watch whatever I need to just an hour later. And then realised that, you know, watching all these shows and then went, well, actually, like the only thing I actually am bothered about watching is match of the day. <laughs> That's the only thing anyone I, I'm actually fussed about. But uh, anyway, no, but it's, it's been fascinating. Sort of get a bit more of an insight into the life of t- life and times of Stu Hall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let, let's let's just put, <laughs> let's correct it before people are thinking I'm I'm not going to be asked about Wolves being back. That's not going to uh, no, happen. That's, gonna that's say, not changing. This, have, this is not going to age well. I've, I've, I've had no dalliances of uh, not being 100% wolves like you and Dave. And it, probably most sensible people in the world, in the wolves community, have had these top down times. Like when I mean, the usual one people speak about is like the Hoddle era when it was just like watching paint dry every week. And But I was still there. I was still there all the time. It's just a case of. You concentrate more on the pub before and after than the actual game itself. So we'll still be there, home and away, as much as possible. Um, but it's just a case of don't let it affect your life. No, I completely agree. And hopefully that's a message people can take home with. But as soon as we're back in the stadiums, 
I think we're all just going to live and die by it. But we will wrap it up uh, there for today, folks. Big thank you to Stu for joining us today. It's been my pleasure, Richard. Thank you. Did you know over 90% of podcast listeners take direct action on the advertising they hear? It's smart, right? And smart advertisers know Acast. We power thousands of podcasts all around the world, including the one you're listening to right now. If you want to reach immersed listeners in lots of different creative ways, then Acast's fully curated brand safe marketplace is for you. Visit Acast.com slash advertisers to find out more. Acast for the stories. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 5.00% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash CD specials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC.